I am ready. Lippity, 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 lop. I thought you were singing the Liberty. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Isn't that insurance or something? I think it is. <laughs> no, it was my vocal exercise. I like that. I like it. <laughs> me, me, me. Hello, makers. Welcome to our studio, a branch of the Making Conversation podcast, where we chat all about making the app and the act. I'm Jen, head of marketing at Making. My pronouns are she, her, and my making app username is Knit Pearl. Now, as a podcast host, I have fully been using my producing power to have some amazing guests. You all need to know these people. I'm not here to gatekeep my amazing friends, okay? <laughs> so as I've been planning out the topics of our Multicraftual Maker podcast, I wanted to make sure that we included some aspect of cooking and food, which is definitely an act of making. Our guest today, I know she's super passionate about food accessibility, which aligns with one of our values, which is food security is a human right, and also passionate about people learning to love cooking. So without further ado... The lovely Andrea. Hello, Andrea. <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. So I know who you are, clearly, but please introduce yourself to our lovely listeners. Hello, friends in radio world. I guess it's podcast world, yeah. not radio world. <laughs> are we showing our age at this point? <laughs> I'll be 40 on Monday. So yeah, showing Welcome. my age. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Happy Thank birthday. Thank you. Oh, I love it. <laughs> my name is Andrea Nightingale. My pronouns are she, her. My making username is at Andrea, and that's spelled with a E-Y-A. I live in South Lake Tahoe, California. I have been a maker my most of my life. Both of my parents are artists and creatives, and so I was raised that way. And then um, just kind of kept it going and eventually found my way into the food medium. Although I have done a, a fair amount of painting in oil and am more recently really excited to um, be learning more watercolor. And then I also love to garden and design gardens and write. And when I'm not making, I'm probably just being like a total couch potato and <laughs> watching some kind of like BBC cozy mystery or a gardening show. <laughs> we are going to chat about a bunch of food related things today from accessibility to gardening, all while putting together a great spread that you can make for your next gathering with family, friends, or your next making circle. Because of the wide range of subjects that we're covering today, we also want to recognize that systems of oppression run deep in many areas of life for many people, including food and how it is obtained. However, in most, if not all cultures, um, food is typically very much the center of community and family and friends. So we wanted to celebrate that. We're going to be making something as we're doing this. So this is my first time like cooking and podcasting. So <laughs> I believe we'll see how that goes. You. you can do this. Oh, thank you. I believe in us. I yes, believe in us. I do too. Or the power of Grayskull. Yes. Just a little human Perfect. going She's for just, it. 
Shira, princess of power. Okay. I do have a knife next to me. I could be using that as my sword. Oh my gosh. Just to touch on the board that we're going to be making today. It's called a PB&J board. The ingredients are in the show notes. So feel free to pause and go grab them or, you know, listen and then come back later and make it along with us or take notes, whatever, make it later. Either way, it's going to be like, we're all making it together. And I love that so much. And if you do make the PB&J board, definitely go post in the making app because I want to see it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Andrea, when we talked about making something while we were recording, I want to know, why did you choose the PB&J board? It is one of my favorite things. And it came up into existence when I was the winery chef at a little winery in Napa that had a big garden. And I was tasked with basically creating dishes that could be served to people on the patio. And all of the food had to be jarred ahead of time in a commissary kitchen so we couldn't cook on site. And everything was very seasonal and reflective of the garden. My father-in-law, Tom, loves PB&Js and he would eat PB&Js and Cabernet and it was like his little treat. He was telling me about this at the time when I was the winery chef there and I thought, oh, I'm totally going to make like a grown-up PB&J kind of board for people coming to drink the wines at this winery. And so it was springtime and we had a lot of strawberries and I was really into making different kind of almond or cashew butters because it's so easy to make and they are very shelf stable. But instead of making a jam, because I really wanted to showcase the fruit at the moment when it was the most beautiful, when it was like the most delicious. And so I just basically did something very simple with them. So it's when you end up eating it, it's like really fun because you can like get a little cashew butter and then get a little spoonful of strawberries and mix and match and kind of do your own thing. Or I've done it before, like almost a bruschetta kind of deal where, or like a tartine where it's like an open faced sandwich. So as I said, we are going to touch on a lot of different things when it comes to food and we don't have time for a deep dive because I just think I wanted to kind of point to this as maybe this is like a jumping off point to think about food in a different way or give you ideas of what research to do and try a few new things. Also, if you have any follow-up to anything that we chat about, comments or questions, send us a note at hq at makingco.com and I'll do my best to get to them in future episodes. Okay, so Andrea, you are now a personal chef, but I know that you've journeyed through the food and wine industry. So where did this all begin? Was it like I came out of the womb and my dad was like, yes, chef, or (laughs) did this food love come later in life? (laughs) I was a very picky eater. And I think it it was definitely a great source of frustration for my parents growing up. My mom is the first to admit and say that she's a terrible cook. She hated cooking. She's amazing at sewing and ceramics and gardening. And that's where she wanted to spend her non-working time. But her mother, my maternal grandmother, Alvina, was a amazing cook. She was not the warm and fuzzy grandmother by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) You were like never allowed in the kitchen. Every holiday had these amazing feasts. And she and my grandfather had a catering business on the side. I should say they were, them and my mom 
and her brothers and sisters are all immigrants from Germany. My grandfather was from Ukraine, and then my grandmother is from Germany, and my mother as well. So the food that they made was very Ukrainian, German, and then Polish as well, because my grandfather's sister had moved there after during World War II, and there was a lot of movement at that time. She would have these like beautiful spreads with chafing dishes and garlands and flowers and it was like all of the pierogi and sausages and potatoes and onions and dill all these enticing things that a little kid just is oh why does that smell so good I want I want to know more about this I want to eat these things and I think that was like very formative for me and then my best friend growing up her mom was Italian also an immigrant And so my friend and I were like the first generations of our mom's families to be born in the United States. So I think we kind of, without ever talking about that, just the way we were raised by these women was very similar. And her mom was an amazing cook (laughs) and she loved to cook. And she would always invite me into the kitchen and Martina and I were like joined at the hip. And so we were Mm -hmm. always at one house or the other. And so our mom's knew us very well. And so Esther taught me a lot, The Martina's mom, she taught me a lot about like how to make a tomato sauce, how to make a vinaigrette, how to make a simple pizza dough, how to like boil a chicken. It was very basic. I was like 11 or 12 years old. You know, I remember going home and thinking, I'm going to make a tomato sauce for our pasta dinner tonight. And I looked through the cupboards and we had ketchup and dried oregano and some red wine vinegar. And who knows, like, how long did it all been in there? <laughs> and I like onion powder or something. And it's like, mm-hmm. get out the little pan. And I'm like, oh, I'm cooking. And it was vile. <laughs> it was like the grossest thing ever. <laughs> I had no idea about ratios or like learning how to know what to taste for, how to adjust food. Mm-hmm. And so I always think my parents and even Eric in until I went to culinary school, they really suffered through years of terrible cooking until I like finally learned. So I say that because any of you out there who feel like you just you love to eat, you love to be around food, you love the smells and the flavors, everyone's a student forever. Mm-hmm. So don't let that intimidate you. Just you only learn by doing. That's the best way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just get in there. <laughs> That's with a lot of different making, right? Like mm-hmm. it's this idea that you want to learn how to knit or crochet or paint or sew. And it's really intimidating at first. And I think that that's widely recognized, right? I just was cooking for this amazing retreat for creatives in Sonoma almost a month ago now. and it was a really, it just felt magical. (laughs) That's the only word I can think of to describe. It was the first time these two women, Alex Cole and Megan Marsh King, who is a painter and a writer in Sonoma. It's the first time they put this on. And um, there were about 12 women who ended up coming from the area. And I don't know, I just, it felt like there was like, sparkles in the air. <laughs> it was just yeah. it was so wonderful for people to come together to meet so many other like vulnerable creative women who just are trying to incorporate 
creative elements into their daily lives. And I felt like all of us shared that experience. And Mm -hmm. anyway, I was so fortunate enough that I got to cook for them for several of the meals. And the motto, like what I came away with so much was these two words, just start. And it Mm -hmm. was everywhere. It was like, just start, just start whatever, start writing, start painting, start knitting, start crocheting, start cooking. You only will get better. It's never going to be as hard as that first day. If there's something you want to do, just start. Look at this. We're already providing value on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) and it's just started. Just start. Uh, (laughs) We're just starting at the start. I I totally (laughs) meant to do that. That was, yeah. (laughs) I totally meant to do that. So I did also want to mention that Andrea is going to be our special guest instructor for this month's Bright Collective member event. So if you don't know what Bright Collective is, Bright Collective is kind of like our version of Patreon. We have members that give every month that help support what we are building, the making app and this podcast, et cetera. And as a thank you, we provide things like special member events, special discounts, and then also a really fun e-zine that offers multi-craftable patterns and tutorials and essays and I don't know, just a bunch of stuff. It's beautiful. This month's member event is June 23rd at 2 p.m. on Zoom, 2 p.m. our time, so PT. But the good thing is, is if you can't make that time, you can still get the recording because it will live on everyone's accounts on the making app forever. So Andrea will be leading us and we'll be learning to create a spread of seasonal dishes that are perfect for sharing with family, friends, and neighbors. I'm I'm really excited. I'm really excited too. It sounds very simple, but we're going to be making three different kinds of salad and the vinaigrette. So as I had mentioned, when I very first started learning how to make a dressing, it was gross because I didn't understand the ratios. And, and so we're going to make one sort of mother dressing, and then we'll make two derivatives of that so that will dress the other two salads. And so the beauty of that is that you only have to buy or have or find the ingredients for that one. You don't need three different kinds of vinegars or something, for example. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to make a really pretty leafy green salad. I think we're going to do some kind of tomato and cucumbers summer squash. We have to see what what's available since I know we've had a late start with uh, mm-hmm. a lot of our vegetables and fruits this season. I don't have all the details worked out yet. We're going to have like a more hearty bean kind of salad. So yeah. three different things that you can share with friends. I have had things that Andrea has cooked. So I'm going to guarantee that whatever salads end up being made, they're going to be delicious and you will want to learn how to make them. And I think I really resonate with this idea of not being good at making your own salad dressing, but really want to be. And I love that we're going to be making that and then like tweaking it for the different other salads and like bringing out different flavors. So I'm super excited about this. If you're interested in joining as well, visit makingzine.com and become a Bright Collective member. It's only $12 a month. And not only do you have access to this free member event, but you also will have access to the e-zine of this month, which has a lot of amazing things. If you listen to the podcast episode before this one, you'll hear a little bit that is connected to the e-zine. 
after you become a member, you can then RSVP for the event in the making app. And um, then we'll email you all the info. Hooray. Hooray. (laughs) While we were like prepping for this, you were talking about how your access to food changed when you had your recent move. To catch you up between 12-year-old me and almost 40-year-old me, I (laughs) was working in the legal field, decided I didn't want to pursue that, ended up going to culinary school, went to the Culinary Institute of America in St. Helena in Napa Valley, and then ended up staying in Napa for almost 10 years with a couple of little detours, one to Atlanta for about a year. And then while I was in Napa and Atlanta, I was working in fine dining restaurants and then also in wineries. I spent a lot of years learning about wine, studying it, taking the exams, doing that whole thing, working as a wine educator at a winery. Wine and food have always sort of walked hand in hand for me in my interests. And it was great because I was in Napa and that's what Napa is all about. And then in, in 2018, I started my personal chef business called Mortar Pestle Cooking because I always use a mortar and pestle and I'm very like old school in my cooking style. I like it very thoughtful, simple, seasonal, really beautiful and fresh. And and I think it's a very California West Coast expression of cooking. So in 2020, all of my business, like for many other people, pretty much came to an end. So we said, let's blow this popsicle stand. And we moved back to my hometown of South Lake Tahoe and moved to the business here, which was really scary because I didn't know if it would be viable here, but it has been. So that's good. And we were able to get dogs for the first time because we always rented. We were never allowed to have dogs anywhere. And then now we have this big garden that we're building. So it's really exciting. I was really spoiled because I'd lived for almost 20 years away from here in Bellingham and Seattle, and then also in um, Napa. And so the West Coast and those areas in particular just have an incredible abundance of fresh, beautiful seasonal products that I had never quite experienced before when I was just a kid going to the kind of standard grocery store in the 80s and 90s. And it was really hard to move away from that and move back to that here. Although there's a lot more diversity now in what's available at the grocery stores locally. But I mean, for example, we've had a five or six month long winter where The snow was as tall as the roof and we were frequently enabled, like unable to leave the basin because the roads were closed or it was like too dangerous. And it just was like, winter is real (laughs) here. It's like Game of Thrones. You're like, winter is coming. Oh my God, we're going (laughs) to (laughs) die. Y'all, Andrea would post a photo and it would just be like a square (laughs) and or a rectangle and it was white and she's like oh yeah please enjoy the view outside my kitchen window and I'm like what (laughs) it's like that tall and yes it was it was was. so wild to see that that was window saga 2023 it was like (laughs) a daily post of like how much less of out the window you could see and 
we had one window we could see out of our whole house. And it's just because it had an overhang next to the garage. And but still, you could only see the like wall of snow that was like three feet away. So when people talk about like, go to the farmer's market, talk to your farmer, all of those things. Yes, absolutely. Yes. If you can absolutely Mm -hmm. do those things. But for many of us who don't live in the Napa Valley or the Pacific Northwest, where you have like farm stands and farmers markets, and many of your friends are also your farmers because the community is so focused on that and really supports that. That's not realistic. (laughs) I want that to be realistic, but I do my best. You know, there's a farm stand in Placerville, which is about a 45 minute drive called 24 Carat Farm. And any people who are local to Tahoe, I highly encourage going. They're so great. They have beautiful products. They are just closed for a few months in winter, but the rest of the year, they work so hard to bring really beautiful and fresh vegetables and fruit. And they support their own community by helping other farmers that don't have a farm stand and providing a marketplace for them as well, which is really beautiful. So I love to go to them when I can. (laughs) That's a commitment. Commitment for sure. It's one that I am happy to make. It's certainly not one I would expect anyone else to make. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about food accessibility, that's just not a practical, real, or realistic option for most people. I mean, I have a business where I cook for people and it's my job to get them the very best product. So that's part of what I do to bring that to my clients. But like most people don't really need to do that. And in a lot of areas in the country, there aren't a lot of options. I think there was a a point when I was younger, where I thought, oh, if everyone shopped at the farmer's market, we would save the world. I think that's a very naive and narrow focus and view Mm -hmm. of the world and of the food issues that are facing everyone, really. I mean, accessibility, as we've talked about, comes down not just to physical accessibility, but economic. So there are a lot of barriers. As we talk about accessibility, Andrea and I definitely wanted to touch on food apartheid. So a quote from activist Karen Washington, I coined the term food apartheid because I wanted to shake it up. Because when you say food desert or food swamp, you're talking about a location. You're not talking about the social impact that food is having and the injustices that food is having in low income neighborhoods or neighborhoods of color. I think that a lot of people have heard the term food desert before. Deserts in nature are naturally occurring, which is like the opposite of what we're talking about here. In this case, this is what happens when there are places that do not have access to grocery stores or fresh food, and that's a part of a larger system of inequality. Food apartheid is an injustice that happens in many areas. However, there are many organizations that are working really hard to fight for food justice and a lot of resources out there to learn too. So A good place to start, Andrea actually told me about this podcast episode. I will link it in the show notes. This episode is called Food Apartheid and Why We Don't Call It Food Desert. And one of the guests is Karen Washington, um, who 
coined the term food apartheid. They also speak with other food justice advocates, and it's a really informative episode. So it is point of origin. Again, I'll link it in the show notes. And then literally, you can use Google to find out what you can do in your community. There is an organization here in Seattle called Plant-Based Food Share, and it's plantbasedfoodshare.org. This is from their website. It was founded to close the gap in access to fresh locally sourced food and agricultural education in communities that have experienced fresh food apartheid. So, of course, we encourage you to do some research to find organizations like this in your area and support if you can, or even just inform yourself. I think that's always the perfect first step. Here in the Tahoe Basin, over on the Truckee, which is the north side, just in case anybody local-ish is listening, there's the Tahoe Food Hub, which is an amazing organization, and they work a lot with local farmers. And then there's Slow Food Lake Tahoe, which really is focused on gardening and farming in this area. So I guess ultimately what I really want to say about accessibility and how it relates to your own life is don't shame yourself. Don't go down that guilt spiral of, oh, I should be buying all organic or oh, I should be shopping at the farmer's market, or oh, I should get a CSA, or oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. I don't know which label to believe. I don't know. Like there, You can have an entire panic attack just at the grocery store trying to decide which products mm. are the ones that are going to save the planet. It's the politicians who are the people who are really damaging the system. And your individual mm. purchasing choices of buying or not buying organic milk that day is not going to solve this problem. And, you know, just to kind of go down this, as you can tell, I'm like getting heated about this topic because I really feel strongly about it. It's just, it's not right to shame people or to shame yourself for making food choices that make sense for your own life. And it's, there are a lot of people who organic milk is very expensive. Organic butter is like nine or $12 a pound. That's not realistic for many people. For most mm -hmm. people. Yeah. And this idea that like, well, if we just buy all these things all the time, this is just playing into the system of keeping us from being self-sufficient and keeping us from taking care of ourselves. And there's a certain point where I say, I'm going to grow my own. I'm not going to play your game. And I think mm -hmm. we see a lot of communities, and this was something like Karen Washington was talking about, where there are a lot of communities that are like, screw you. Like we're going to take care of ourselves. We're not going to rely on your price gouging and your different games. We're going to get chickens. We're going to make a garden. We're going to share cooking responsibilities. I and feel like it's in the, it's in the vein of really relying on mutual aid and the community and support mm -hmm. and lifting people up and all that. That should mm -hmm. be the focus yes. of this. Because we have the power to do that. We mm -hmm. do. And there are a lot of things in the system that we don't have the power to change, even as a large group. Mm -hmm. The scale is so massive. And I think at a certain point, we have to shift and say, like, how can I focus maybe more locally, take care of myself and my community and have good mental health? I mean, we talk about this too, when it comes to like yarn, right? You know, there are many types of yarn. It's like wool, mohair, cotton, silk, acrylic, and obviously more than that. But within the fiber arts community, there are people who've had this like holier than thou attitude around acrylic yarn. So 
yeah, acrylic is made from petroleum product, but it's also super accessible price point wise, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of places tend to carry acrylic yarn that are maybe more of the big box stores. There might not be a small yarn shop in every single town that carries small batch made wool yarn or Mm -hmm. yarn like that. If you are going to buy this artisan yarn, you could drop $30 or more on a skein. And if we're talking about a sweater, that's $180 or more for one sweater. And if we really want this beautiful thing that we do, creating sweaters and scarves and hats and knitting and crocheting even to be accessible to everybody, we need to embrace all types of yarn and supplies and whatever works for that person, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the argument of, oh, but the earth and microplastics when you wash it. I get that, but you can't just go into shaming people. That's not doing anything. You know, you can educate. There's a, if you go to guppyfriend.us, they sell these bags that help keep the microplastics out of the water if you put your garment in it. But in all reality, like what we're doing individually is good practice. It's good practice to be mindful about what we're, putting out into the world and including things to take care of mother earth but it's really like the system it's the major companies that need to be held to the fire and it's not okay to be judgy and we should all be using what we have accessible what we can bring in to be creative and we should be lifting especially makers like we should all be lifting each other up Mm -hmm. and not focusing on something like what kind of yarn somebody's using. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. I just totally got on my soapbox. So let me jump down really quick. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate what you're saying because I think and also what I'm trying to say is I just want there to be more kindness. Yeah. I think the message that I ultimately really want to get across to everybody is just to do what makes sense to you. Do what makes sense for your own life. Ditch the guilt. I mean, mm-hmm. We can solve these problems, but we can't solve them if we feel bad about ourselves or if we're doing things out of guilt and we're putting ourselves in like credit card debt so we can buy organic milk. Mm -hmm. And that is just one sector of our population. I mean, that doesn't even take into account like all the people who like we're talking about who are living in areas where access to those products doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. And so what... I just want people to think about is simple things that you can do. Try to eat more seasonally if you can, but ultimately, like I also say, like just start growing your own. I mean, self-sufficiency and in any form, even if it's just herbs on your windowsill, you can like take care of something that's growing. And every time you cook with it, you're like, I grew that and it's still alive. And that's not something that's going to rot in your fridge that you're going to have to throw away that's going to become food waste. And that feels really good. And so there are little things that you can do that I think make a huge impact on your own well-being. So we have the power to change the world, maybe not in this like way that we think of where we're going to tear down government policies and change the farm bill or whatever. We can vote for certain people and bring them into office. And that's really important. Everybody votes. Do not forget 
vote <laughs> and give them a vegetable that you grew. <laughs> As everybody knows, every week, me and my lovely guest will talk about what inspired them in the making app. What inspired you this week in the making app? I hope it's not embarrassing if I call her out. No, this is what this is for. We're doing shout outs. We're doing name dropping. Okay. Juniper.berry. She's been doing some really beautiful illustrations and drawings of like flower. Like she has one right here that's just like of some flowers that's so pretty. I've really been enjoying her. Pecan, where are you? Her stuff is so cute. I always love to see what she's got up there. May 19th, she posted her very first charcuterie board that she made for her family. And it was so beautiful. It made me so happy to see her doing that. It sounded like it was something she'd been wanting to do for a while. And it was really cool. Matter made. There she is. Oh, my gosh. That's Carrie. That's one of our co-founders. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I love her stuff. She's got like beautiful flowers and paintings. There's a lot of joy in all of her stuff. I have a few different ones because, of course, you know, there's just so much amazing stuff. Laurel N. posted these seed packets that they were making for a seed swap. And it looks like she's decorating them with her tiny human. They were so beautiful. One of a Kate. Her shop in the marketplace, she's just added a few things in there that are new. And one of them is the Summer Vibration Tea. And I don't know, it just looks absolutely beautiful. It's a knit piece. If you're looking for a good summer tea to knit, this is it. This is it. Also, oh my gosh, there's so many things. Terry, okay, we love Terry, first of all. Hey, Terry, what's up? Peregrine Woodshop posted a new walnut burl plant propagation station. Terry is a woodworker. Terry's also going to be on the podcast in a little while. Like, we're still setting stuff up. But Terry's going to be on the podcast to talk about woodworking and all of that. And I just love everything that he does. He made some record stands for uh, record store day and then made some and put them in his shop and I snagged a few for gifts. So everybody go check those people out and continue to post all of the amazing creative things that you're working on in the feed. We love to see them all. Can I say something about the making app? Of course you can. I just find it such a joyful space. I'm always so happy when I come in there and I get to like scroll through and see all the amazing things that so many of you are making, it, it's so positive. Everybody's just so supportive of each other. I think it's really special and I'm just really happy that it exists. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm yeah. so glad that's, that has been our goal from day one is to have those feelings be felt by everyone. So mm -hmm. if you're not on the making app and you're curious about it, head to themakingapp.com and you can download the app there and join the community. Y'all, I think it's time to start putting together this PB&J board. What do you think? Yes, I think so. Okay. So if you are listening and wanting to make this in real time, you know, make sure you have all your ingredients. Again, the ingredients are listed in the show notes. This is the first time that we're cooking and we're doing something ground. else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't we're doing I something like else and podcasting. So we'll see how it goes. It's like walking and chewing bubble gum. We can totally mm -hmm. do that. 
we can. I'm. I guess I'm talking more about like the sound the noises. and like voice voices and noises and things kind of moving around. We'll see how yeah. it goes with the editing. We'll do the strawberries first because they need a little couple minutes to hang out. I have my strawberries. I'm ready. How many and strawberries should we grab? Just you can do like a big handful. Okay. And the point, or you could do all of them. The reason I said a pint is because that's typically like how you would buy them. Are we just cutting off the little tops? Yeah. So cut off like as close to the little green as you can. How you cut it is up to you, depending on what you feel like is making you the happiest to look at. Yeah. <laughs> and I like it sounds silly, but I'm serious. That's how I think about things. I'm like, how's this going to like, what makes me happy? So you could either quarter it where you basically cut it in half one way from the tip to the green end and then you flip it 90 degrees and you do the same thing and then you have these like little triangles or you can take it and hold it by the greens and then you just start slicing across these like little round sort of cross sections and then your last cut is the greens that you're not going to use anyway. I so, like that one. I think you like I'm going to go in that direction. I always thought they looked like a kiss. They're like, hey, baby. Ooh. You buy these beautiful strawberries and you're so excited to eat them. And maybe you have a couple when you get home or on the way home and then you put them in the fridge and then you go back to them like two days later and they're all white and fuzzy and you're like, crap. <laughs> I yeah. waited too long. Now they have to go to the compost or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're all trying to, I know a lot of us, I think everyone is trying to eliminate food waste or reduce as much as possible. And one of the best ways to do that is to store your products in a way that makes them last longer. And so yeah. for strawberries and every berry, actually blueberry, blackberry, all of it, when they're, the thing about berries is when they're like stacked on top of each other, they're really tender flesh and they're just going to smush each other release moisture, and then that moisture is going to start to mold. And so in order to prevent that, this is what you do. I learned this when I worked in restaurants. All of the berries are stored this way. You get, I just use like a napkin. It depends on how much you have, but not terry cloth. You don't want the fuzzies. You want like a linen napkin or a flower sack or something. You lay it down in your cookie sheet. You could use a plate or depending on what size, like you could use like a casserole dish or whatever you have as line it with your linen and then fold. So it's like half. So you have the ability to fold over it, if that makes sense from an audio standpoint. If you have a lot, you put a second linen napkin over the top and you just kind of tuck it in and store it in the fridge like that. And so what that does is it keeps the tender flesh from smashing itself, smashing each other. And then mm -hmm. there's, there's air that can move through. So it keeps it kind of dry, but it's not so much air that it's going to dry them out in your refrigerator when they're just like sitting there. So all of your berries and we're in berry season. So, you know, everyone, that's a little pro tip for you guys. I just learned something new. I love it. <laughs> Again, Yay. we're bringing value with this podcast. I, it's one of the reasons why I don't buy a lot of strawberries or even berries in general because 
I feel like it's exactly what you said. It's two days later and they look like, I don't know, they're Santa Claus's beard. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, they're just these- white and fuzzy. And I'm like, no, I wanted strawberries today. I, I didn't eat them fast enough. And yeah. so oh, I good. feel like so many people are going to go, oh, that's how I do it. Yeah. Amazing. It is. It changed my life. Um, changing tips by Andrea Nightingale. <laughs> yeah, I'm always happy to share any of those. Here's another one that isn't what something we're cooking right now, but asparagus is in season. It's springtime. And when you get your bunch of asparagus, put it in like a jar, like a mason jar, and you just put a little bit of water, like an inch of water in the bottom, and then stick your bunch of asparagus right into it right in the fridge and then like side bonus it looks beautiful in your refrigerator because you have these like cute little asparagus and then every time you open the door they're like hey remember that I'm here don't forget to eat me (laughs) (laughs) and you say okay I'm gonna cook you today (laughs) I've recently just been eating so much asparagus because like you said it's in season right now and Mm -hmm. so it's, it's like butter put the asparagus in, kind of let it settle, like put the lid on for a little bit, take it off. And then I put lemon pepper and lemon juice. I just pour lemon juice over it and just let it kind of get like the, I don't know, the like brown black bits from all of that. And then I eat it. So I just, oh, I love it. I know I'm okay. I'm hungry. I'm salivating. I know. I think I'm going to do that tonight. So while we're cutting our strawberries. Okay. So I have some that are quartered, but we're going in the kiss direction now because I'm feeling sassy. I love it. (laughs) Okay. So I love it. Luckily in Seattle, there is a composting program for the city. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing, right? We moved from Seattle to Napa compost that checked. We moved to Tahoe and it's like, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And so last year I actually bought a little compost tumbler and it's like a double two section. And I was amazed that it survived the winter. It, I thought for sure it would be flattened by the weight of the 12,000 feet of snow that was on top of it. Yeah. But it wasn't. And all my compost, like fully composted, like everything that had been in there, it was Yay. beautiful. And I was like... Ooh, this is nice. So, um, you know, you can always do it yourself if you have space. You don't want it like right where you're going to be hanging out because it it has the tendency to get smelly. And I've been nervous in Tahoe to see if if, and probably it's a matter of when the bears are going to try to get to it. I saw our first bear actually a couple days ago in our neighbor, the first bear of the season, I should say. Wow. He's just roaming through the neighborhood looking for food. They Have like you named I, him. This is a funny story. So I was probably like 20 or 19 or, you know, whatever of inappropriate drinking age, but I was still drinking mm-hmm. with friends. And I was out later at night. I came home and uh, went to bed. And then several hours later, my dad got up. And because my mom heard jars in the refrigerator, like getting kind of clinked around. And literally they thought Andrea's drunk and she's falling into the refrigerator, (laughs) which I was like, wow, thanks, guys. That's never happened before, but I'm glad that's what you think of me. (laughs) So they got up and the kitchen and the front door were in the same space. 
and the front door was wide open. There was a full moon that night. And so the moon light was shining in. And then there was this bear in our freezer and he was looking for ice cream, which we found out because one of our neighbors, this bear had gone straight into her kitchen in the afternoon and went straight for the freezer and straight for the ice cream and started eating it. And she was like in the kitchen, just don't move. (laughs) So I named him steak and I don't know why, but it's like (laughs) this kind of like long running joke. And so we think that's steak's grandson. (laughs) That was a joke. Steak junior or something. But yeah, I love that. Oh, that's, I mean, terrifying story, but also (laughs) I've got a good start here. Yeah. So I always keep a container whenever I'm doing veg prep or anything. It's just my teacup right now, but it's strawberry ends, any kind of green waste that you might compost or get rid of. And even if you don't have a program like that and you're not going to compost it, it makes life so much easier when you're cooking, when you clean as you go. And I cannot emphasize the importance of this enough because you will go from calm to scattered in three seconds as soon as you stop cleaning stuff off of your workspace. It's like, you're Mm -hmm. done. We did that. Wipe your cutting board off, get that stuff out, get your cutting board clean again and move on to the next step. So in the vein of that, we've got our strawberry head tips gone. We've got our strawberries in a bowl. And um, now I'm going to add some of our pickled ginger. Um, It kind of depends how much you like pickled ginger. I love it so much that I just like really love it. I think it's one of the most delicious things. But it's really spicy. Oh my God, I'm having a hard time opening this one. (laughs) No. Okay, hold on. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna mute myself so you don't hear like yeah. weird. There's a reason that I lift weights. Whip, whip. I haven't opened. How many do we grab? So it kind of depends on how much you love ginger. I'm just gonna take a couple. Okay. Because you want a little bit, but you don't want it like overpowering. Mm-hmm. unless you're someone you're like oh god ginger I love it so much I can't get enough yeah. and that's the important thing to remember you can always add more of something but you can never take away something so just got think it. about that like ease into something if you're not sure and at the end of the day the whole thing is just supposed to be delicious to you so you make it delicious for yourself, whatever that is. And so you stack it on top of itself in okay. an even layer. Basically, we're just doing a little tiny dice, which means that we're making cuts in one direction. And then we're moving our board or this for the item in a 90 degrees so that we make perpendicular cuts in, the, in that other direction. So you end up with these like little squares. Yeah. And then you just pop those in. I've learned that my knife needs sharpening. (laughs) Mm. I'm just learning so much with this podcast. (laughs) So then you put, you add it to the strawberries. Yep. I just slid them right in. Cool. Adding to strawberries. And like you said, 
don't, you know, don't forget everyone. There's a point where if you want to add more, you can. So if you're uncertain, start with a few and then you can add more. Okay. Okay. This is a kitchen tool that not everybody might have. It's called a microplane. It's just like a zester. I love this tool so much. I use a lot of zest, but you can always grate garlic on it as well or onions. So you don't need that like garlic smasher thing. And uh, sometimes on a cheese grater box, there will be a really fine, it's like the finest grate. And you can use that if that's what you have. But if you're someone who is kind of getting into cooking a little bit more, I highly recommend a microplane. I think they're like about $12 to $15, kind of depending. They'll last you for a very long time, like for years. And they're a great tool to have. So the lime zest is another example of personal preference. I, for this amount, will probably just do half of the lime's zest. And I just grate it right directly in there. So you get the essential oils from the citrus that go in. It smells so good. You get some ASMR here. It does smell really good. <laughs> There's like the tiniest bit on the back. Uh, it's fine. I need to get, it's just, oh, something's falling in. Okay, good. We're doing it. I need to get one of those contraptions that you have. a microplane. Okay. It smells so good. This Doesn't lime vest smell smells so good. Okay. The other reason why I chose this as the recipe for us to cook, to, to make today is because this will take you around the year, around the calendar. I mean, right now we've got strawberries, so that's what we're doing. You could do this with apricots. We're going to have like peaches and nectarines coming up soon. You can do the same thing with that. You can do it with any soft fruit as we move through the summer into the fall. When you start to get with apples and pears, I would just cook those very slightly to soften them up because they're going to be hard you know but i love that about this dish because that's the point of it is it's it moves through the season it moves with you Mm. and it's just a jumping off point you can really make it your own and play around with different spices and zests and different things like that so now we've got our honey and i'm using i love jacobson i use their kosher salt They have so many beautiful honeys. And actually, this is a great moment for me to mention our mutual acquaintance who I wouldn't even know you without her, my cousin Stacia, who is the coolest person ever. Hi, Stacia. Hi, Hi, Stacia. Stacia. Will you listen? I've said her her name once or twice, and she's like, (gasps) I'm famous. (laughs) Okay, so the honey. How much honey are we adding? So this is another thing that is to your taste. And it also depends on the berries because sometimes you're going to have really sweet berries. Sometimes they might need a little extra help. So again, just taste them first so you know what you're working with. And if they're super sweet, just start with a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just start with basically like a spoonful. Bella, I think, agrees with me. Yeah. Bella's back and she still has a lot to say, everyone. Yeah. So I basically did like a tablespoon okay. and I'm just drizzling it in. I know. I should. I just want talking. everyone to know that was my 
That was my honey bottle that made that noise because we're at the end. Okay. There we go. I feel like that's good. Okay. So then you mix it around. Yeah. And then just mix it around. And so I always taste it at this point as well, but it's going to definitely get more like syrupy. Okay, Bella, that's enough. And then as I'm like licking my fingers here, cause it's really good. I would take the lime that we zested, cut it in half and just squeeze, I don't know, not even all of the half, just like a little couple of squeezes, like a quarter of the juice in there and mix it around. Cause anytime you have something sweet, especially like in a fruit, like a fresh fruit, you always want to add a little last minute pop of acidity and citrus juice is a great way to do that. It makes a big difference. And the fruit comes alive. It's not just like sweet strawberries, but it has more dimension. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to anyone who doesn't like to hear eating sounds. <laughs> um, but that's the, Deal you with know, it. It's going to happen. <laughs> I like eating. So <laughs> after this, I also want to talk about tips on I, I feel like there are people who are I don't like cooking or I'm not a good cook and I just it's my personality to get takeout all the time and I mean granted if it's that's what works for you for time or whatever by all means but I do feel like I don't know this is maybe this is like I'm talking to you mom <laughs> my mom is one of those people I feel like we could be talking to my mom right now so um as we're making this I know you have some tips for people mm -hmm things that people can do if they want to cook more but they think that they're bad cook or like maybe just want a little like some ideas or help I do and I will I'm gonna just first get this going so this is our cashew butter and I didn't quite have enough cashews so I added some almonds to the mix and really that just demonstrates how flexible this is it's again it's the same thing with the strawberries it's use what you have definitely look for ones that are broken. They're less expensive and they're going to get ground up so they don't need to be whole. Unsalted because we want to be in control of the seasoning and they could be roasted or unroasted. It doesn't, that's kind of up to you. And I think it's fun to taste them both ways. So maybe you try roasted one time and the next time you try it unroasted. So that was them going into my Vitamix, but really it's whatever blender food processor you have and as I said earlier if you don't have anything like any kind of tool like that you can just buy some ready-made peanut butter or cashew butter or almond butter at the grocery store sometimes they have those like peanut grinders there next to the nuts just grind some fresh of whatever so you know that all that's in it is the nuts and then when you get home you can add the spices and the lemon zest or whatever. Okay, so I've got my nuts in there and now I'm gonna zest my lemon. And I love this to be super lemony because the nuts are very dense. I'm gonna go ahead and do the whole thing. There. Okay, this is awesome. I've, I did not know that zesting a lemon would go into cashew butter. It's so good. I mean, the cashews are like, delicious and creamy but they're kind of dense and so it's nice to have something bright to lift it up 
I actually just run out of ran out of cardamom and because I live where I do and I order my spices they haven't arrived yet because often things are delayed and just to make a shameless plug for my favorite spice purveyor diaspora they're based in Oakland they have amazing spices the founders from India she works or she's not from India but her family is and she works with farmers there and they get paid a living wage. Everything is really fresh. It's so delicious. But anyway, so as I said, I ran out of cardamom, but I am going to use cinnamon. And I'm just going to use like a little like quarter teaspoon because a little bit goes a long way. And as we mentioned, you can always add more. When you're zesting a lemon, can you just keep the lemon and use it for the juice? The oh, juice? yeah. Yes. Afterwards, I just didn't know if there was like, it dries up fast or something like that. It will dry up on your counter. You okay. can keep it in the fridge, not in a plastic bag, but somewhere where it's going to have some air. I would start with one teaspoon of cardamom okay. and then you can always add more. And the reason why I did a quarter of a teaspoon of cinnamon is because it's a different spice and cinnamon is, I find like much more overpowering than cardamom. Whereas mm. cardamom and lemon lend themselves to each other. But I just like to start easy and then adjust later. And then very important also is a pinch of salt. It's almost exactly a half of a teaspoon. It's just shy of that. So when I say a pinch, that's roughly what I'm referring to. And the type of salt you use really, um, it's all different. Not all salt is created equal. So if you have iodized table salt, it's a lot more salty than like this kosher salt. Got it. And guess what salt I'm using? What Jacob's salt? Jacobson Sea Salt. <gasps> Me too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I have this little salt cellar. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to get a salt cellar so I feel fancy when I'm cooking. <laughs> I love that. I highly encourage little things like that for your kitchen. I actually got this when we got married our little salt box. Every time I see it, every time I open the little lid, stick my hand in there, I just, I love it. It feels like part of the ceremony of cooking. Like I'm doing something, this is like part of my special yeah. products that I use for that. Okay, so everything's in there. So the thing about these, you know, nuts have oils that will release naturally, particularly when heated. So you mm -hmm. could let your Vitamix run for a very long time until all the oils naturally come out and then start to blend. But you're going to damage your machine and your ears. And so what I do is I just help it along by adding a little bit of oil. Now, never add water because it. it will seize up and ruin everything and you'll just have this like weird chunky nut mess and it'll taste fine, but that's not what we're going for. So make sure it's a, a liquid fat that you're adding to it. Okay. Here it's at a fourth cup. Yeah. That's a good place to start. I ended up okay. adding five tablespoons, which is one tablespoon shy of a half of a cup because I have almonds too. And sometimes the almonds are yeah. take a little bit more. You want to be able to see a little bit on the bottom, like okay. there's a little puddle. 
you want to be able to see a little bit of the oil at the bottom. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what we want, right? Yeah. Just a little boop boop at the bottom. Yeah. Just a little boop boop at the bottom above the lip. That's it. (laughs) I mean, if we're using a Vitamix. If you're using something different, I can't tell you where your boop boop is going to (laughs) land. I'm going to mute while I blend. But just to tell people, we're looking for it to be smooth like a peanut butter. Not like a Jif peanut butter, but like a one of those like hippie crunchy kind of peanut butters. <laughs> okay. I'm going to meet while we, while I put this on because otherwise it's going to sound like something's taking off in my house, like an airplane or a helicopter. Okay. So I am actually going to add a little bit more oil because I need more to help, to help this thing get moving. So I probably just did about another three tablespoons, and um, now I'm going to let it go again. Okay, that did the trick. So it was, in total, for this one cup of nuts, it was almost three quarters of a cup of oil, just to kind of give you a ratio to think about. And that's how it goes, you know, you're like starting something and it doesn't seem right. Sometimes you just need to add a little bit more. And I would definitely say to always trust your instinct when you're cooking. If something feels like, oh, I just feel like it needs a little more salt or a little more acid or a little more water, like it's too, like it's a sauce, let's say, like it's, you know, and it's like kind of thick. Maybe I need to thin it out. Maybe just add a little bit of water. Trust your instinct for those things. I think I did it. (laughs) Oh, cool. Oh, my God. (laughs) I forgot that I added all that stuff. I was just thinking about how much I need to be blending. Oh my God, it's so good. And Jen said, no more podcasts. I'm just going to eat it. No, (laughs) I know. Okay. I love it. I'm actually adding some more cinnamon because I couldn't taste it. Okay. So if you're doing cinnamon, do one teaspoon after all. Okay. I'm just going to stir that real fast and then. So mine is really like lemony and cardamom Is that the goal? Or did I do too much lemon? No, I mean, the goal is for you to like it and want to eat it. Mm-hmm. And I think it should be lemony and cardamom because you're thinking about what you're putting it with. And you're putting it with those strawberries. There it is. I was like, should I add a little honey? No, we don't need to because we have the sweetness with the strawberries. See, we're learning about balance and ratios. We are. But that's an important, I think that's a good thing to bring up because if you want it a little bit sweeter, no, you can do that. But you also could make it like when you're going to use it, just drizzle a little honey on top. Good, if you're doing okay. like, it's going to be your toast or something, for example. Got it. So I have a very hard time finding baguettes in town. And usually when I go to Reno, I go to my favorite bakery, Peren, and they make the most beautiful food. I'll like stock up and I'll buy like <laughs> like eight baguettes and then I'll bring them home and put them in the chest freezer so that I can ration them out for myself, but I haven't been in a while. So I'm just using sliced bread, which is fine. That's just what I have. And that's a part of what we're talking about, which is 
being flexible with what's accessible to you, making it work for you and being happy with it. So basically how I would serve this is I would put this cashew almond butter into a container and I have my little bowl here. And so like your friends are coming over for a stitch and bitch night and you made this because it's going to be fun and you got a lot of strawberries, but let's say you got too many strawberries and you didn't want to macerate all of them like this. So what do you do with the rest of them? Let's say you like made them all like this ginger lime way. Maybe you take half of those and you throw them in the blender and you puree them and add a little water to thin it out. And then you add that to a tonic water or some sparkling water. And then you have a fizzy spritzy strawberry delicious little beverage to accompany this. Oh my God, that's amazing. Doesn't that and sound good? All the flavors go together. Mm -hmm. So can have fun playing around with it. Would that be yummy to like also put in some bubbly champagne if you want to go in that direction? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a mm. mimosa, a strawberry <sighs> mimosa. If I was doing it with that though, I'm, I might not water it down as much. So I'm just going to build this little tartine. It's like that. I'm still it, just licking the nut butter. <laughs> I love it. If you live somewhere where you have rosemary blossoms right now, you can pick some of the rosemary blossoms and sprinkle them over the top. And that's a really, it's really beautiful. And then it adds like a nice extra flavor. And if you haven't tasted rosemary blossoms and you live somewhere where they're in bloom, run, don't walk to try some of them. They are so good. They're like the most they're like the best part of rosemary without the resinous bit that you get from the greens. And they're so pretty. Okay. So my question is, if you're going to plate this like on a board, like mm -hmm. if you're going to do a, if you're going to be like, okay, my peeps are coming over. I have my Lionel Richie. Hello. Is it me? You're cooking yes. for board, which I will be posting a picture of this. Yes. How would you, so I'm assuming the nut butter goes into a little container. Yeah, I would put it into a jar or a bowl with a spoon in there. Same thing with your strawberries into a bowl or a jar. I think a bowl is probably easier. Give it a spoon. And then I would just like either slice your baguette and kind of like fan it out. If you think about it, and this is really important anytime you're making like a spread for other people, like a board or something think through the practicality of it. Okay, if I was going to eat this, how would I need this to be positioned in order for me to just be able to grab it and put something on it and put it on my plate or whatever? Because sometimes stuff looks really beautiful and cool, but it's totally impractical. And you grab something like those little rosettes of salami, you know, sometimes drive me crazy because you like it looks beautiful. And then you like pick it up and then you pick up like the entire thing and you have a handful of salami when all you wanted was one little piece. So maybe that's not the most practical way for a large group to display or like put something like that together. Maybe they should be like folded and kind of like shingled. I'm still over here eating. What I was going to say too is I know that we talk about community and bringing people together. 
I'm going to eat all this by myself. So (laughs) if you're somebody who's like, I am an introvert. I like to be at home. This is such a good snack. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're a vegetarian, like it has everything for you. You have protein, fiber, carbs, fats. It's very well, well well-rounded and Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, you can also just make this if you want a really good snack. I love it. If you are someone who maybe wants to cook or you're – basically, I'm answering Jen's question from before we started doing the PB&J board, which I guess is addressed to her mom. Hello. Sheila, are you listening? Sheila. (laughs) (laughs) If you think that you are a bad cook or you – want to cook more, but you don't really know where to start. I guess those are kind of two different areas, but I would say start with foods that you like. If there's a restaurant that you love because they make like certain dishes that are your favorite, look up online to see if there's like a recipe for that dish that maybe you can just start to make and just kind of try it. But definitely that's like the place to start is like, what are the flavors that get you excited What are the cuisines that get you excited? I recommend if you're just starting out cooking to get like the most simple pared down recipes. I will tell you that the first cookbooks that I cooked from and they were great were these like French food from like Costco. As I learned more and I got better, I realized like how simplistic a lot of these recipes were. Like there was a quiche recipe, for example, and maybe they weren't 100% authentic. And I learned how to make them better the longer that I cooked. But they were such an amazing starting point for me because I could follow the recipe and then I had a quiche at the end of it or I had the thing that I was trying to make at the end of it. And so I started to build my confidence. And at the end of the day, it's really about your own confidence in the kitchen and you trusting your own instincts and trusting yourself. But like from a more practical standpoint, standpoint when you're just cooking. One thing to really keep in mind is timing. It's really just so important because it's very easy. Let's say you're going to say, oh, I want to learn how to make a stir fry or something. I want to saute something over high heat and it's like a quick thing. It's easy to put something in the pan and then walk away and then you get distracted. Just thinking about, okay, this is my task is just to stand here next to this pan and that's my only job in the world and I'm just going to sit here and do this. Or maybe look for recipes that don't require that level of intense attention and maybe something like a braise. Like I love braising beans. I think that's such a beautiful place to start. I love a crock pot. You can start it before you leave for work in the morning and then they're ready for you when you get home or you could do it overnight. And it makes your house smell really good. And then it kind of takes care of dinner. And something I love to do is like beans and greens, which is, I think a lot of people are familiar with that. And you could get like the white Corona beans from Rancho Gordo, which are so good. They're these really, gosh, I don't know. They're big. And you could put some like lemon zest or preserved lemon in them after they're cooked with some olive oil and herbs and like maybe some kale or spinach. And it's kind of like saucy. I mean, they have a lot of recipes, but that's a great place to start. You know, it's something very simple. It's okay. You don't have to like have this super developed skill set in order to produce it and just start building your confidence that way. And you're, you're going to see like how good you are. 
you're going to show yourself that you do know what you're doing and that you can make really delicious foods. One of my favorite things is just making black bean tacos Mm. where I literally just have to heat up beans, cut up peppers and onions. Sometimes I'll saute those. Sometimes I won't and heat up tortillas and put some cheese on top. And that's a very fast, you know, satisfying thing. And you can add in different spices and stuff, but Anyways, I just wanted to like throw that out there that it's kind of marrying those two together as well, right? Because I love tacos and burritos. Yes, Jen, to that. Always to tacos. (laughs) It's always a good idea. The other thing I would talk about that's so important for every cook. I'm sorry, you will taco about? (laughs) I will taco about (laughs) this. I had to. I had to. (laughs) I'm glad you did. (laughs) Is to taste your food. This is the most important thing you can do as a cook. And I'm going to repeat that. Tasting your food. I say that as like I'm watching Jen taste her food. food. (laughs) She did a good job, it looks like. I mean, who knew? Who knew? (laughs) Anyways, onward. (laughs) Always taste as you cook. Always taste. You're tasting to make sure that you like it. You're thinking like, oh, I'm just starting a soup, for example. And I'm going to taste my soup like right at the beginning. And it's probably going to suck because it's like underdeveloped. Everything's kind of raw, but like it gives you a sense of what the flavors are. And then you let it cook for a little bit longer and then you taste it again. And then you're like, oh, okay. It's like starting to come together. I'm going to let it keep going. Maybe it needs like a little pinch of salt or something. So I'm going to do that. And on that note, seasoning as you go is very important. Let's take the soup example again. So you put all your ingredients into the pot and then you put in some salt and then you let it cook a little bit and then maybe it's a little thick, so you need to add some water. So then you add a little salt. So every time you add another ingredient, you add a little pinch because, and it feels like a lot when you're first doing it, but then you're not adding really anything at the end. It's just, it's basically done and it's seasoned. And that salt is integrated. You don't taste salty. Whereas if you only season at the end, it is salty. It doesn't integrate properly. So that's very important. Tasting your food and seasoning as you go. And then there's one last thing that I will say is every time you cook something right before you serve it, if you give it a little squeeze of fresh lemon juice, fresh lime juice, Maybe like a teensy, tiny little drizzle, like a sprinkle basically of like a champagne vinegar or sherry vinegar, a red wine vinegar, something like that. You're going to be amazed at like how much that lifts the flavors and you're going to get a lot more dimension out of your flavors. And so those are just little tricks and play around with it. Taste something before you put like lemon juice on it, taste it after, taste something, put a little salt, taste it after, and then you'll learn your own palate, you're going to start to to develop it that way. If you are thinking about starting a garden or growing some plants in, in your apartment, inside, in a windowsill, on a balcony, or a rooftop deck, um, or even in your own yard, the first thing that you really need to look at is what kind of lighting those situations can provide to a plant. Because if you want to grow artichokes, for example, you're going to need a lot of space and full sun. And so if you're like, oh, I only have a windowsill, like maybe that plant's not really going to work for you. Also thinking about what are the soil requirements for these different plants, meaning 
what kind of drainage do they need? I think something too that's really helpful is when you're going to go pick these things out, hopefully there is a place that's even like a Home Depot. I feel like all of these people are there to help you. I mean, hopefully. (laughs) But going up and asking questions is a-okay. Like you don't have to wander into somewhere and know exactly what Mm -hmm. you need. So I think for the example of me, it's like I'm on the roof deck, so everything's going to have full sun the entire day. So I find things that grow well in full sun. You can look at the little tags Mm -hmm. or like the seed packets if you're going from seed packets instead of starters. And also just like asking like, hey, I have soil already. Is there anything I can Mm -hmm. add to it that's going to make the plants more receptive to this soil? So because sometimes just like starting over with soil is not an option like accessibly. I mean, also, I'm not going to carry down all of that soil from the roof from the tubs that I have up there. So asking questions is great for sure. I I heartily agree with that. These are people who work in there. They're they're familiar with the products that they carry. And yeah, they're definitely there to help you to talk to them. And, And then also Google, of course, is an amazing resource. There's a lot of information out there. So the other thing I would recommend is is similar to like what I was talking about with cooking, which is starting with something that you already love. If you're going to grow herbs in a windowsill, for example, grow herbs that you like, that smell good to you, that taste good to you, that you know you're going to want to use because then you will use them, which is good for those plants. They need to be used in a lot of instances. Um, You can grow lettuces in your windowsill in a self-watering pot just pick the leaves off as you will. You can add them to sandwiches or salads. So really researching what the plant's needs are is very important ahead of time because they are living things and they're going to change and evolve. Growing your own food, you start with something manageable. Start with what you have space for and just grow from there and just follow your own Follow your curiosity, see where it takes you. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it. And you get to become a student. You don't have to be the teacher. You don't have to know everything. You just get to learn and observe. And a lot of times it's going to not work out right, but continue. Just stay at it. TikTok is filled with people who have done gardening before or are even new to it and they're starting out and they're putting content up as well. There is a creator on TikTok, Opulent Bria, which I love that username, O-P-U-L-E-N-T-B-R-I-A. And they have been putting out a beginning gardener series, which includes like building boxes and trellises, a compost bin and more. There are so many people who are within that realm, right, of gardening, of food, of cooking, of all of that, that you could just go to these places like TikTok where people are sharing so much knowledge. I mean, you could go to websites, blogs. TikTok is my way of doing it. I think I just like the visual so much. But yeah, I would start there. I also wanted to touch um, really quickly on growing food from food scraps because it's definitely an interesting way to like, quote unquote, use the whole thing, especially when we're talking about food waste. So definitely do your research on types of food you typically eat organic versus non-organic. I saw a few sites that said it's harder to grow if it's not organic, but I don't know because not all of the sites said that. So again, this could be kind of a trial and error thing, but also the space that you'd be doing this. So some examples, 
bomb ass Lena on TikTok and Instagram. First of all, follow for great gardening info. She took strawberry tops, the the tops with the greens, and planted them, and then strawberries grew. I was like, what? (laughs) That's magical. There's also a TikTok that she has where she is talking about how you can get sweet potatoes from sweet potatoes that you already have. Basically, they grow slips. So like everyone's had a sweet potato that sat out a little too long and it has the little greens that come out of it. So apparently once that happens, you can plant them. And other foods that I've seen to regrow from scraps are like green onions, celery, garlic, romaine lettuce, onions, and some herbs. So yeah, definitely do some research of what you like to eat and see if that's, you know, if that's something that you want to try. It's such an interesting way of really utilizing the whole thing and minimizing food scraps. And another thing to consider is seed saving. So with seed saving, you can use seeds from fruits and vegetables that you already have. I think the best example of this is peppers. You can pull out the seeds and separate them. And apparently if you pour water on them, basically the seeds that float are not going to work. So if you put them in a bowl, pour water in them, take out the seeds that are floating and compost them or do what you can with them and then rinse off the other seeds, let them towel dry and put them in a dry container to save for when you're ready to plant. And apparently there are other foods that this is easy to do with like tomatoes, beans, and peas. I love this idea, seed saving and growing from scraps. I think it's just like taking it to the next level, but also experimenting with what you have and the space that you have and the lighting that you have. Because If something doesn't work out, that's not like you're like, oh, I built a whole garden and, you know, nothing is growing. It's like you had the end of your romaine lettuce and you're just like, I want to try this. Let's see what happens or a potato or whatever. I'm so glad that you mentioned this, Jen, because seed saving is really important. It's something that that I've done for a long time as well. And just like to add to what you said, it's like you have like let's say you grow a tomato plant and out of one of those tomatoes or a couple of those tomatoes you're like holy crap these are like the best tomatoes I've ever had in my whole life those are the seeds that you need to save like winter squash like pumpkins things like that tomatoes peppers that's basically how like breeds of seeds were created over time and gardeners would save the best quality and then plant those you know, it's something that I have heard of and I haven't done it myself, but I am thinking maybe that'll be my next year planting because the plants that I have on the roof, I have those, the two giant tubs and I have Anaheim peppers, bell peppers, and then in the other one I have tomatoes and spinach. And I wonder if it's, this is the year that I do seed saving for peppers. Your spinach it's going to blossom. It's going to bolt and blossom and go to seed. So let it go to seed. Sacrifice one of your plants to go to seed. Oh my God. I just learned. Yeah. Like your herbs will do that. They'll blossom and they'll go to seed. So let that happen. You grow cilantro. Let's say your cilantro blossoms. It goes to seed. Let your seed heads dry. And now you have coriander seed, which is a spice that you would have bought in the store to put in like your you know, taco seasoning mix or something. I mean, not me. Not I think cilantro <laughs> is the devil's herb. I absolutely hate it. I'm a super taster, so I'm one of those people. So when you say it goes to seed, 
is it like you last year or not last year because I actually didn't do a garden last year unfortunately but the year before was my very first year doing the garden on the roof and I had no idea about bolting and so all of a sudden I'm like oh my gosh what is my plant doing and then I looked it up so if I were to have allowed that to keep going and you see a flower at the end how do you know when it goes to seed does that then turn into yeah I guess the flower Mm -hmm. develops seeds so you'll have the flower and by the way for those of you who do like cilantro if you are growing it the cilantro blossoms are so delicious lies no I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) cilantro is very divisive I mean nations have broken up over it evil it's rude as well. Like when it sneaks into my fa and I like I'm like, Ugh. like no. <laughs> anyways, yeah, okay. No bueno. I that's really good no. to know because I have four little mm-hmm. spinach plants right now. They're just yeah. now starting to get wild. Which actually this is a really good transition into what we're working on right now. Because I was gonna talk about my garden. Oh, good. I wanna know though, Andrea, what are you working on right now? Like what is filling your cup with creativity? Mm. My garden is probably number one. I feel like I'm obsessed with it right now. My morning pages, I don't know if any of you guys do morning pages out there. It's a newish practice that I've adopted about a couple months ago. It's been transformative for me. Julia Cameron wrote this book called The Artist's Way, and she has written a lot of things and teaches classes and everything, but I heard about it on a podcast and I thought oh I think I need that and so I ordered it and it came and I started doing the morning pages right away it's transformative like I said I was really depressed this winter and in a super funk just kind of generally been feeling like in a creative rut for years it's the problem when you turn your hobby into your job (laughs) I think a lot of creative people have that experience because the way you have to look at it now is so different. You're like, this has to earn me an income. So it has to, you have to kind of put whimsy aside for practicality in a lot of instances. And over the years, I've done that too much, I think. So it's something I'm personally working on trying to reclaim. And that feels really good. And so I started a Substack blog newsletter. It's kind of a lot of things. That's why I called it the cookie jar, because it's got all kinds of little treats in there. But it's really like food writing. I have this series in there called Dinner Diaries, where I basically just diary what my what we made for dinner. And like, let me tell you, it is nothing extravagant. I mean, I even wrote about the frozen pizzas that we get like Eric brings home from the grocery store when we're just tired. So if you're someone who is kind of looking for inspiration on something really basic and simple to cook. You could check it out. I'll describe how I make the dinner, but it's not like a specific recipe. But I'm also trying to get better with watercolors because I do handmade menus for my dinners. I just love that. And so I've been working on calligraphy and like doing some of those drawings. So you get to see my kind of like food watercolor doodles with that as well. And then I also write about wine because as I mentioned, I've dedicated a lot of my adult life to learning about it. And so I have a lot of opinions and I think it's really fun. It's not like a stuffy wine kind of thing. It's more, I guess, philosophical about how we look at it and talk about it. It's called Tasting Group. That's just another one of my cookies in the cookie jar. 
And then what I'm really excited about, and I haven't officially announced this yet, I do have a newsletter that you can subscribe to, which is called Cookie Chat. And that talks about what is happening with my own business. And then I have a featured ingredient every month. And it just kind of talks a little bit about what that ingredient is, how it grows, what you can do with it, how you can use it. And there's a little recipe, a simple recipe for something that you can do with it. And then I also have a featured wine producer each month as well. And what I'm really excited on, something I've been working on for a while and have been wanting to do for a couple of years, is this is the official announcement of launching it, which is really exciting. Oh my God, <laughs> everyone pay attention. <laughs> this is an exclusive. We are dropping beep, 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 breaking news, people, breaking news. I am launching a paid subscription supper club that's every month. It's called the Potato Dumpling Society, which I think is just a joyful name because I've often said that if I was a food, I would be a potato dumpling. And so... Oh my God. I love that so much. And so what it is a menu... It's five or six different dishes. There are recipes for every dish. And then there are the menus that I like to do, the calligraphy menus. So you can print those yourself at home for your beautiful table. And then there are beverage pairings as well, which are typically wine, although I would like to add more non-alcoholic suggestions as well. So I'm working on that to make it fun for every menu. Um, There is always a vegetarian or vegan main course option. But the menu is really supposed to be eaten family style. And the reason why I wanted to do this is because I want people to be able to gather and cook together and have an evening together in, you know, enjoying each other's company. I love a dinner party. I love mostly what I love about it is just gathering with my friends and people I love and just enjoying ourselves, kind of languishing over a beautiful table with candlelight and flowers. It's very joyful. And I love to try to create that with the dinners that I do. But I also want other people to be able to have that. And so what the Potato Dumpling Society is, is just a community of people who gather with their friends once a month, They cook together, they enjoy each other's company, they follow these recipes. And this is the part that I think I'm even more excited about than everything else is I have spent a lot of time making a very comprehensive how-to guide to how to throw a dinner party. And this extends into hosting holiday dinners or family dinners, but it really covers everything. It's what do you need to think about in terms of ambiance, what kind of music, how should you think about setting the table? Are you going casual? Are you going formal? What do you need to think about in order to really throw off like the best hosting event? It's something I've spent years and years thinking about and learning about. And so I really wanted to be able to share that with people so that if they said, okay, I've got like family coming into town, we're going to have a dinner if they're potato dumpling head, which is what I'm calling us. <laughs> then, I'm so excited to be a potato dumpling head. Yes, me too. <laughs> then, you know, you already have a menu. Every month gets its own shopping list and it's in a very easy check 
checklist form that you can use from your cell phone. And then the other thing that's really great is there's a timeline. So this is something we were talking about earlier with timing, and this helps you really schedule what you can prep a week in advance or before or two weeks in advance. So it just kind of helps the organization. And my sincere hope is that it will evolve and grow with the people who join it and I get more feedback, but that people will really just take it as an opportunity to get together with their friends and cook. This is so beautiful because it takes away a lot of the scary things, right? Mm -hmm. This kind of reminds me of, I was talking with a friend earlier and she was asking some career advice of how to like figure out what she wants to do next. She's an illustrator. And I told her, I was like, whether it's in person or online, find communities that you can be a part of and start sharing because you have such a great story and you have such beautiful work. And she was like, I really wanted to do something in person, but I'm kind of scared. And I was like, okay, so here's what you do. You find a day that you have all of your friends that can make it on that day. And you pick a place like a park and you put out an invite to whoever, wherever you want to invite publicly invite. And if nobody shows up, you still have your friends, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So if you're nervous about throwing a dinner party, get like three or four of your closest friends. Mm -hmm. They're not going to care if things mess up, right? Mm -hmm. Become a potato dumpling head. <laughs> Join <laughs> the potato dumpling society. <laughs> Try this out for a month, right? And I think that it eliminates pressure. Because you're, you're doing this with people who you love. Nobody has an expectation. The expectation is have fun, right? Mm -hmm. Also, you've given everybody all of the tools that they need. So that should take away a lot of it. But I think I that so. for people who are maybe like, oh my gosh, the first time like that I'm doing this, like I'm a little nervous. Maybe grab some friends and make yeah, it a fun thing. Absolutely. And share the work. Let them, that's, I think that's what makes it fun. But I mean, if you're a very ambitious cook and this, and it's like, you like to do all the cooking, which was me historically <laughs> up until more recently when I'm just like, I'm tired. I want people to help me. But it's like, yeah. it's not early days. You're like, yeah, I'm going to see if I can do this. This is a good challenge. This is fun. So yeah, I hope that it kind of, it can be either way for people. Beautiful. But I love that. Yeah. Coming together. Where can they find oh. where to sign up? I know that you, you haven't made it live yet. Where can they go to your newsletter? I'm assuming that's the best way for them to find out when that, it's live. Yes, it kind of is going to live through the Substack. The name of the Substack is Cookie Jar. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. And it'll be announced through there and then you can subscribe there. Perfect. I'm still working on the sock with the Farmer's Daughter Fibers sock yarn and... Yeah, that's what I've been doing. I feel like there's a few things that are, I need to finish up my embroidery, a few other mm. things, but I don't know. I've been super busy and it's like finding the time can sometimes feel too much. And then yeah. I just remember this is something, this is like really good for you. It's like your meditation. Even if you sit down and just knit one row mm -hmm. or you sit down and like do a few stitches it's your day is just going to be better. So I think mm -hmm. that sometimes we have this idea of having to knit or stitch or craft or make every single day. Mm -hmm. 
and that you have to do it X amount of times and crank out all this stuff. So you have content and it's take a step back and remember why we're doing this. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That reminds me of at that retreat, Megan, the writer, she mentioned about time and like how I was talking about morning pages and how sometimes there's no time. She said another writer had mentioned her just write one word a day. And mm-hmm. she thought, this is stupid. What's one word a day? But then she said, then I realized that one word a day turned into pages. Mm-hmm. And I just love that because I think that's like what you're saying. Like one row a day turns into a sweater or a mm-hmm. scarf or something like it's, you're still doing it. And you're still getting in that meditation, that moment for mm-hmm. yourself. That even, even if it's just a, a moment, it's, mm-hmm. you're still getting that for you, which is so important. As we do, we're going to round out with a moment of gratitude. So Andrea, what are you grateful for? So this is the end of my thirties this weekend. And I just feel so grateful for growth and having gone through so many really challenging experiences thus far and making it (laughs) like surviving it. I feel very grateful for that. For all of those hardships, I feel grateful for them. That's beautiful. It's hard. Sometimes it can be hard to look at the things that are scary or hard in your life and be grateful for something like that. But I think if you look at it through the lens of, hey, I did it. I got through it. Mm-hmm. I made it. I learned something. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. That can be a beautiful message. I am grateful for the sunshine. I am grateful (laughs) for the fact that I can walk outside and walk around with the dogs. I know that Marina said this. She was grateful for the sunshine. And I was like, you know what? I was thinking about what to say today. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about the sunshine. So thank you, son, for blessing us with your (laughs) sweet rays and your sweet vitamin D. Yes. We have, we love it. We love it. Yeah. So I think that kind of ending this podcast, talking about food and feeling good, the one thing that I wanted to say was like, I have gone through my life with the mindset of food kind of being scary and not only like cooking, but like eating. And I grew up in the 80s and 90s and you understand that the diet culture that was pushed upon us. And lately I've just come into this space where if you are balancing things, if you are eating things that make you feel good, if you are eating things that make you happy and you're doing it in a way of bringing community and love into it, who cares about counting calories? Who cares about that kind of stuff? Yeah. Life is fleeting. Eat the damn thing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I actually have a tattoo. I got it with my friend Carrie because we kind of went through this whole journey together of body acceptance, self-love, learning that food isn't this scary thing or this bad thing. And it can be really celebrated and part of the celebration of life. And we got a tattoo of a cookie and a banner across it that says no regrets. Yes. I love that. I love that. Eat the cookie. Eat the cookie. Yeah. So putting love into what you're growing, what you're making and sharing it with people that you care about. Like that's the takeaway right there. That's the important thing. We did it. I'm going to go eat all of these strawberries and cashew butter. And I think I'm also going to pour a glass of wine. 
Yes, ma'am. Cheers to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cheers to you. Thank, Thank you. you. To join the amazing community of makers in the making app, head to themakingapp.com to download and sign up or head to your favorite app store and search making. You can listen to the Making Conversation podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, we'd love for you to subscribe and share with your friends. But also, did you know that you can listen to the Making Conversation podcast in the Making app? Open up the Making app and click Discover. Scroll down to Podcasts and you'll see all current and past podcasts listed there. You can listen while you scroll the feed, post details in a project, search through the marketplace, or even just have it out while you're working on your favorite whip. If you've made it this far and you're interested in sponsoring Making Conversation, send us a note at hq at makingco.com and we'll be in touch. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you in the Making app.